0: What is going on in China? Now, last week, authorities reduced the RRR, which was an acknowledgement of more economic and financial turmoil ahead. And then this weekend, the country was rocked by a large series of protests all over the place, which is unusual. Protesting in China itself is not, but usually they're left to small scales, small regions, maybe even individual cities but widespread condemnation and demonstrations against the federal and uh, the federal government that's unusual and that's something that Xi Jinping the supreme leader and now dictator for life apparently has always frowned upon for very specific reasons there's a lot here going on that has nothing really nothing to do with the pandemic it's about Communism. It's about perestroika, the Russian Revolution, Trotsky, Mao, even Karl Marx. All of it wrapped up into a euro-dollar world that, from the Chinese perspective, has betrayed them. From the communist perspective that relied upon the euro-dollar system as it existed from the time of the dissolution of the Soviet Union up until, for China, really 2011, Everything depended upon this transformation, learning what the Russians did wrong, what happened wrong in the Soviet Union, and turning that into the right way to do things. But just as it was starting to come together, it all fell apart and into that vacuum came Xi Jinping. And Xi Jinping has a very different view of the world than most people are told. Now, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. If you're interested in member videos, exclusive content, you check out memberships at eurodollar.university. We also have subscription services, uh, Markets Insider Pro. I do a daily briefing that's bundled with Stephen Van Meter's Momentum Timer Pro, along with Tracy Shukart's uh, weekly oil and energy materials as well as a deep dive analysis, which is a separate subscription, but for the time being, you can get a Black Friday sale price on pretty much all of that stuff. Check it out at eurodollar.university. Now, one of the things that I've had to do in studying the Eurodollar system is pay a lot of attention and focus and notice on China. China being one of the key connections, one of the key cogs one of the key drivers of economic growth throughout the Euro dollar world, you've got to understand what's going on with China, which means you've got to understand something about communism, especially the Chinese version of it. Now, communism was never meant to be a, a, a competitor to capitalism. Contrary to how it's been portrayed, especially in the West, the communists realized communism doesn't create the wealth that's required to create the conditions necessary for the long long waited for socialist transformation. Instead, what Karl Marx said from the very beginning was that a pre-industrial economy or any pre-modern economy that doesn't have the, the capacity to, to the already created the capacities to sustain uh, just economic life under a socialist transformation should never attempt to go in that direction. But as I said in a recent video talking about China and, its, and its, uh, its roots, many years ago, Vladimir Lenin decided he wasn't going to wait for Russia to industrialize, to create the, the wealth and in, in the capacity necessary, economic capacities necessary to undertake that socialist transformation, and adopted sort of a quasi-system, where an authoritative vanguard, the revolutionary vanguard would take control of the Russian economy and drive, whether the workers wanted it or not, and drive the the Russian economy into its industrial phase. And then after uh, enough wealth was created, enough enough capacity was created, they would then lead to the industrial system, which would then allow the socialist uh, utopia to emerge from that process. And in doing so, what Lenin said was, we have to take one step backward in order to take two steps forward. The one step backward was going into a limited form of capitalism, which the national economic plan in the late 1920s was Lenin and then Stalin's way of trying to do this forced transformation into socialism. And it it wasn't supposed to be strictly Russia doing it by itself. According to many of the leading uh, intellectuals of the, of the socialist revolution, it meant that as Western societies continued to progress under their capitalist free market principles, the socialists had every right to adopt, to steal, to pilfer as much technology and capacity as they could possibly do so. Um, in fact, Directorate T from the very beginning of the precursor of what became the KGB, was focused exclusively on scientific and technolo- technolo- technological intelligence, because as Lenin himself supposedly said, they would pursue Western technology with both hands. This, uh, this idea that communism is a, is, a comp- is a competitor for capitalism, just it, it's not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, again, communism is supposed to succeed capitalism. Once capitalism runs its course in any society, the communists then come in and take over. As Trotsky said way back in 1919, it is evident that as this gap between communist states or those who are attempting a communist revolution before they're ready to do so, so it is evident if this gap takes place, that the cooperative societies inside these capitalist countries would then simply have to automatically expropriate all capitalist undertakings after which it would remain for them to reduce the working day sufficiently to provide work for all citizens and to regulate the amount of production in the various branches in order to avoid crises. This is the important part. In this manner, the main features of a socialism would be established. Again, it is clear that no revolution and no dictatorship of the working class would be necessary at all. So from the very beginning, 1919. What Trotsky was saying is, if you advance the economy far enough, whether it's stealing the technology or forcing the uh, the capitalist transformation, the industrial transformation, as Lenin proposed, at some point you have to have enough capacity for the working, for the, for, to reduce the working day sufficiently to provide enough work for all citizens and to regulate the amount of production in the various branches to avoid crisis. If you don't, if you don't advance the economy far enough, then you won't be able to reduce the working day sufficiently. You'll have unequal distribution of labor, which is something the communists don't like, and you won't be able to regulate the amount of production in the various branches in order to avoid crisis, which means unequal production, unequal labor. You've got a major problem because you're short of the socialist utopia. This is exactly where the Russian Soviet Union, the Russian form of communism found itself in the 1970s heading into the 1980s. Now, Mikhail Gorbachev has given tons of credit, especially in the West, as the mm, sort of the peacemaker, the, end, the peacemaker that led to the end of the Cold War, when the truth was perestroika and glasnost were forced upon Gorbachev as a means to try to salvage the Soviet Union, because it hadn't lived up to what Trotsky had said in 1919. It hadn't been able to reduce and regulate the working day sufficiently to, to equally distribute labor. It hadn't advanced far enough to keep the amount of production in the various, in various branches. And it left itself with some of the worst possible crises, including agriculture, food. The Soviet Union could no longer produce enough food as Gorbachev said in 1985 we must not change our policy it is right correct authentically Leninist we have to instead accelerate our rhythm go ahead be frank and overcome our faults and see see clearly our luminous future in other words reform was about doing things a little bit differently but still committed to the socialist idea, to speed up, to increase the rhythm of this industrial transformation. In order to do so, the Soviets realized they had to reform. That was where Perestroika came in, as well as Glasnost. But Glasnost was sort of the workaround that Gorbachev Gorbachev had to employ in order to get this reform past the hardline communists. In other words, he had to open up politically to bring in more political support from the masses. Otherwise he wouldn't been able to, to pursue perestroika, which literally means to reform. He wouldn't be able to pursue that because it was sort of going backwards in the same way as Lenin had proposed in the 1920s. What Gorbachev was saying is same thing. We have to take one more step backwards in order to therefore get our two steps forwards into the socialist re- utopia. But the Soviet Union was in major trouble. And by trying to pursue perestroika and glasnost at the same time, they set themselves up for complete and utter failure. As, um, let's see, uh, KGB General Nikolai Leonov said in the 1980s, first there was a visible decline in the rate of growth, then it's complete stagnation. There was a drawn out deepening and almost insurmountable crisis in agriculture It was a frightening and truly terrifying sign of crisis. It was these factors that were crucial in the transition to perestroika. Now, what does this have to do with China, especially China today? Well, for one thing, Deng Xiaoping, who was the leader of China at the time, realized what was going on in the Soviet Union and said, we cannot go down the same road as the Russians did. Otherwise, it'll be August 1991 in Beijing. If you're not aware, August 1991 is basically when the Soviet Union was dissolved. There was a coup, perestroika didn't really work out. In fact, it was the last version of perestroika was committing the socialist Soviet Union into a full-blown free market capitalism, including selling all of its uh, state-owned assets and and being converted completely to, like I said, free market capitalism. The Chinese realized what was going on in the Soviet Union and what realized what was going wrong with it. It took two steps backwards in order to take what they hoped was a gigantic leap forward. And that two steps backward was to do two things. One was to follow Marx the, Lenin, the strictly Leninist principle, again, in contravention of what Marx said. Marx said, don't do this in a pre-industrial society. The Maoists, the Dengists, just like the Russians, said, well, it's kind of too late now. We're going to try to do this transformation on our own. We're not gonna we're not gonna replace capitalism just yet. We're going to embrace it, but a very limited form of capitalism. And the second thing that the Chinese learned from the Russians is that you don't do political reform at the same time you're trying to restart and kickstart the economy because it won't work. All you'll do is unleash the the fury of the citizenry that have been oppressed have been lacking in economic progress and everything that's wrong with the system will come flooding out all at once. That's what the Chinese decided. They're going to be increasingly authoritarian at the same time as embracing a limited form of capitalism, not because they want to reform in a capitalist free market, private property sort of way, but because they want to use that capitalist power in order to get to to regenerate or rejuvenate, as Xi Jinping has said recently, the Chinese model of communism, Chinese model socialism with Chinese characteristics. And that worked for many decades between 1991 and actually 1992 when Deng Xiaoping went on his famous Southern tour and said, we need to open up. What he was saying is we need to open up so that we're we're not the Soviet Union. So they they remade the Chinese economy. Euro dollars flooded into that place because it was a completely open market, and it seemed like they had a friendly government, nominally communist but a friendly, business-friendly government, and things worked out until that little matter in August of two thousand seven. That little spark that has upended everything. So if you're a Chinese communist like Deng Xiaoping and then Jiang Zemin and Hu Jintao you're committed to this transformation. You see that it seems to be working. Where Lenin failed, the Chinese seemed to figure out a way to do this transformation, despite what Marx warned about, until the bottom fell out from underneath the Chinese. As they were doing this transformation, they had to stop around 2011 into 2012 and ask themselves, what happens if this economic transformation stops before we're ready for it to stop? That is the question that Xi Jinping has been trying to answer ever since he took power. In 2012, what the Chinese communists are actually wrestling with is the top-down, the weakness of a top-down structure. And a top-down structure that's attempting to do something that has never been done before this transformation going all the way back to Karl Marx from a agrarian backward society through its capitalist stage on into its socialist end point they were attempting to do it and only got halfway through it when the bottom fell out of the global economy and it's never been it's never come back since and as an authoritarian regime That means strength of that authoritarian regime really only comes from two places. And that's either economic strength, you can demonstrate the fact that you can grow prosperity and uh, living standards inside your country or military slash police. And if you're a top-down authoritarian structure that's attempting to do a socialist transformation that no longer has the economy you no longer have the ability to use the economy to prop up your government what does that leave you it leaves you with only the authoritarian military police strength and this is something that xi jinping has been talking about for years for a very long time he has been obsessed with what he uh, was what what everybody has called the color revolutions of the 21st century ironically going back to the ukraine What was that, 2004, 2005, the Orange Revolution? What Xi Jinping has said and what he has realized, if you read between the lines, is that without the economic strength, China can only depend upon its authoritarian military police surveillance presence to keep order because they are not ready for their socialist transformation they still have a good portion of the population who has put up with decades of pollution, corruption, unequal distribution of resources, labor, wealth, all of these things with the promise. The Chinese have been saying for decades, the promise is we're going to create this prosperous, harmonious society in the language of Hu Jintao. We're going to make, or did they go back to the Zhang Jima? It may even go back further than that. This harmonious society where everybody shares equally. Well, if you don't have the economic growth, if you stop, if you're stopped short in that transformation, you have a ton of risk. And so Xi Jinping has chosen the COVID era in order to become more and more authoritarian because he realizes the economy is gone. It's dead. It's not going to continue the transformation. In fact, he said Part of common prosperity, a big part of common prosperity, really there's two parts. Common prosperity is what economic capacity and wealth that we've created, we're going to share more equally, which is why we're not going to prop up the real estate sector anymore because that privileged financiers and banks and all of the uh, you know real estate speculators, billionaires and things like that. The reason the Chinese are not going to prop up the real estate sector, they're going to let Evergrande and developers fail, common prosperity, realizing that the economy is going through another transformation, just not the one that they wanted. They're not transforming from the capitalist society into the socialist society. They got to go through another stage that is no longer dependent upon capitalism, which is the second part of common prosperity, which as Xi Jinping has said, is that they're going to try to invent new technologies that are going to lead China into this final transformation. They're no longer going to depend upon capitalism. They're going to depend upon their own designs. It sounds like a sci-fi novel or something. These new technologies that nobody can even conceive of, China's going to invent them and create the capacities that then do the final step toward the socialist transformation. But in order to get there... They have to clamp down on any forms of dissent. And Xi Jinping is already wary of these color revolutions, which he blames upon blames Western governments for, destabilizing these authoritarian regimes on purpose. And he is not going to allow this the, the, a color revolution in China. So that is where these, it's not really about the pandemic. It's about where these lockdown policies are coming from. They're demonstrations of political authority as she flexes his muscle because he realizes very much that they're fallen short of where Trotsky said they need to be. Again, let's go back one last time to Trotsky. It would remain for them, meaning the, the cooperative societies like China is attempting to be, It would remain for them to reduce the working day sufficiently to provide work for all citizens and to regulate the amount of production in the various branches in order to avoid crises. And if that manner of socialism had been established, he says, Trotsky, there would be no need for revolution dictatorship of the working class. China isn't there yet. China isn't even close to there yet. And so they cannot... They have to they have to depend upon the dictatorship, according to the dictatorship, in order to continue the revolution to continue on into this brand new form of Chinese socialism, which is leaving the capitalist phase behind for I don't even for common prosperity for lack of a better term. This isn't in the Marxist handbook. It's not in the Maoist handbook. This is strictly Xi Jinping thought. And it's a experiment in socialism that's never been seen before, never been tried before, and it's been forced upon the Chinese by the lack of economic progress over the last 15 years that is only getting worse, if in case you haven't realized. The Chinese doing the RRR cuts as well as other measures in anticipation of more economic disruption ahead. These things go together. As I always say, these things are inversely related. The rate of growth goes down. The rate of authoritarianism goes way up. And that's what we're seeing in China. I'm Jeff, thank you for watching. As always a huge thank you to the Eurodollar University members as well as the Eurodollar University and Markets Insider Pro subscribers. You can find out more information. There's still a sale, I believe, at Markets Insider Pro, which also applies to the daily deep dive analysis at Eurodollar University. All the information at eurodollar.university. Until next time, take care.